What's up, Painless Flipping Podcast listeners? Before we dive into today's episode, I've got something special for you. Recently, I had the pleasure of joining an amazing podcast, and I wanted to share that conversation with you all. It's a fantastic discussion you won't want to miss. So without further ado, let's jump into that crossover episode and hear what we had to say. Enjoy. Gary, how you doing? Good. Well, it's, it's good to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so Investor Thrive Nation, I got the GOAT right here, Jerry <laughs> Norton, uh, one of my awesome mentors that's helped me a ton. I, I want to thank you. You're welcome. Uh, over, over air, thanks for, thanks for helping me so much. I mean, you really changed my life. It's been great to be a small part of your success, Nathan. So a big, big part. <laughs> but anyway, Investor Thrive Nation, we got Jerry Norton. We're going to interview him today about the origin story. What got you started? You know, uh, people see where you're at right now, but I kind of want to dive in to see how you got there yeah. and, and your story and, and kind of tell us what, what you got going on in the future. Uh, just kind of chat with you about your life and stuff like that. Is that cool? Yeah, I'd love that. Okay, so let's, let's just dive right into it. I kind of want to know, you know, how it all began. I, did, did you always want to get into real estate? No, in fact, I didn't start real estate till 27, although from a really early age, you know, 19, 20, 21, I really wanted to make something of my life. I felt yeah. like uh, God was calling me to do something big, but I had no idea. I didn't really grow up with much of an upbringing on entrepreneurship or business ownership. So starting to kind of learn a little bit about that in my 20s was like this brand new idea. You know, I like I look at my kids now and I'm like, man, they've grown up with this being around this so much yeah, that hopefully it's just kind of natural for them. But uh, for me, it really wasn't. And I just kind of was trying to figure out life. I was bouncing around, doing kind of minimum wage construction. Um, but even at that time when I was doing construction, I wanted to find something that would be, you know, special and amazing. I, I wasn't okay with just having this mediocre life. Right. But it just took a while. Like, I didn't know how to do it, how to figure it out. Yeah, man. It usually does when you're trying something brand, brand new to you, right? You say you didn't grow up with the entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and I a lot about it. You know, I got married right away, started having some kids. And when, when did you get married, by the way? So 21, 21. you know, came back from a church mission. Yeah, yeah. Met my wife. We got married like four months some later. Some say that's really, <laughs> really young, right? <laughs> yeah, I think today it is. You know, today that's pretty young. And so I'm 27 here, kind of working in, in underground construction in Metro Detroit. When you say underground construction, I don't really know what that means. Is that It's like a building? utility work. Utility yeah, work. so I worked with with the business, what they did is they would put in like water and sewer lines and um, electric, gas. And so it was outside, it was Michigan, so cold winters and it was muddy. I'd get down in a hole, I'd have to dig around things. You were really in the holes. I literally (laughs) would come home covered in mud every day. My wife would make me like take off my clothes at the door so I wouldn't bring mud in. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And that was my life, you know, at, in my, in my late twenties, all the way up to 27. And then I heard about real estate, started to kind of, you know, big picture. I think most people are like, oh, most millionaires did it through real estate. And right. I, I heard those stories. We all have, right? Yeah. And I read, I, I started to kind of really focus on self-development. So I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Cool. And I'm like, okay, real estate, there's this thing, real estate. And then uh, through my, my older brother, I heard about wholesaling. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, Jerry, I'm going to go to this little wholesaling event, like a couple day thing. Yeah. And uh, you want to come along and let's go. So I, so I go with him. You know, Were you hesitant? Were you like, I don't know, brother? No, I was like looking. Okay. So I was like, let's go. What is right. this? I want to learn about this. Borrowed the money for the class, for the seminar, you yeah, know. That's how it usually goes <laughs> in the beginning. Put on a card or yeah. something. 
and I go and I just, uh, there's this distinct thing that happened, Nathan, that was really transformational. I'm in this group and it wasn't very big. It was like maybe 20 people. Yeah. It was uh, Robin Thompson. I don't know if you've ever heard that name. Um, and there were people there that knew so much. And I was like, man, cause I could tell by the way they were interacting, answering questions and things. And I'd go up to these people at like break and I'd say, man, you're, you know, so much. Tell me about what you're doing. And they're like, oh, well, I'm still working on my first deal. And I was like, really? <laughs> How could that be? You know so much. And it was my first introduction to education versus like action, yeah. application. And there's probably a lot of people stuck in that analysis paralysis, right? The education where they know a lot. Everybody's on a different path, a different journey. I get that. But I, I quickly learned that there's a big difference between knowing and doing. Mm. And so I decided, look, I don't want to be that guy. I, I want to I actually do you know, like I'm ready, let's go. And so I quickly learned some basics and I just went out there and I started talking I started calling I started, and before you know it, I'm kind of like putting a few deals together, but I was scared. I mean, I, I had a family and I had this job and I had bills to pay. Both in at that time. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of side hustled it, it. and I kind of told myself, well, if I can get enough income from wholesaling and set that aside to basically replace my job for a year, then I'll go full time. Got it. Yep. And that was kind of like my safety net I created yeah. for myself. And your wife was cool with that. She no, she wasn't. <laughs> no, she was, she grew up in a nine to five family. Her dad worked at the same company for 30 years. Right. She thought business and entrepreneurship, it was risky. It was just so foreign to her. Right. That she was not supportive of real estate, wow. you know, and at, that at the point, beginning. At the beginning. But at that point, did you, how many kids did you have, if you don't want me to ask? We had three. Okay, so that is kind of a little scary right there. You're telling me, yeah. hey, look, I'm thinking about doing this new thing. Yeah. You got three mouths to feed. Well, and I did it all wrong. Like, uh, I went ahead anyway. She was against it. And I got my first deal. And we were actually on the way home from the hospital with kid number three. Oh, wow. And it was like on the way. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to tell Perfect her. <laughs> I said, I think I'm going to tell her. So I said, Hey honey, I want to show you something. And we drove by and this is like, this is like a get the ghetto in like Detroit. Yeah. You know, I've never been to Detroit, but it sounds, it was a bad neighborhood. Yeah. And I said, I'm buying that house right there <laughs> we just, on the way home from the hospital. So bad timing, like really bad timing. And she was like, She's got what? Yeah. Um, but that all quickly changed. You know, I tell people, if you have someone that's not super supportive, mm -hmm. they'll quickly become supportive if they see success. There it is, yeah. So I true. started to do some deals and my wife's kind of like, you know what, maybe you're onto something here. Maybe there's a, you're maybe this is a action. thing. Yeah. yeah, and so she she be, she quickly became supportive. I have the story I tell sometimes where um, I did this wholesale deal early on and it was a $4,000 assignment. Right. And the guy paid me in cash, like hundred dollar bills. Yeah. Gosh. And so here's what I did. I, I got home. I knew my wife wasn't home. I got home and I put the money, like I spread it out all over the house yeah. with little sticky, sticky notes that said, thank you for believing in me. Oh, wow. I couldn't do this without you. Right. And you made a believer out of her. Right and then she comes home and I'm lying on the bed like this, you know, with <laughs> money everywhere. And, uh, awesome. and it was just a really, it was really cool. And we took that money, we put it in a jar and that was babysitting money for date night. And we didn't spend it on anything else, just that. How long, that must've lasted a while. Yeah, I mean, for a couple of years, like, and I told my wife, I said, let's do date night every single week. And we've got money set aside for babysitters. That's all this is for. And um, 
And so she got behind it and, and it was kind of a fun journey. Here's the interesting thing. Yeah. After that year, mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm ready. Let's go full time. Wow. One year to go full time. Yeah. It took me a year side hustling yeah. doing and, wow. and so I needed to save up about $25,000. That's what I was basically earning in that job. Yes. Nothing. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so I had that set aside. I said, okay, let's go. My first month full time where now I've got all my attention, like, right. I'm not distracted by the job. Yep. Just let's go every day. I did five wholesale deals and did 52,000 in assignment fees wow. in my first month full time. That's amazing. And so, you know, looking back now, I think, man, maybe I, sh- right there, yeah. maybe I should have jumped in full time, like way sooner, but you know, your journey's your journey. And I yeah. think I needed to go through that experience. I think I still learned a ton, like that part-time phase, but I quickly realized, man, when you can put all your attention at this, it's amazing what you can do in the business. Gosh. So was that just you at that point when you went full time? Oh, yeah. Just you, no, no VAs, nothing? No, basically driving for dollars. I mean, this was almost 20 years ago. We didn't have the tools we have now. Oh, gosh. I mean, it was such a different way of doing things then. Uh, but still that was... That's, that Those same tactics still work today, driving for oh, dollars. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, mostly it was just talking to people, making offers. Like that was that was my model, just not being afraid to just keep applying that. And I knew, hey, if I talk to people every day, I'm going to get deals. Yeah. Now, I think the one thing I, I don't talk about a lot that I did that I think really was helped me to really grow and develop was I'd go to the public library and I'd check out uh, CDs okay. on all the greats. So Brian Tracy and Tom Hopkins and Zig Ziglar, you know, the classics. Yeah. And while I'm driving around all day in my little beat up pickup truck, mindset was on I'm listening yeah. for, for eight, nine, 10 hours a day, just listening, just building up that mindset. And that, that was changed everything for me. Wow. Cause I, I figured out that I had so many limiting beliefs. Yes. Yeah. I was my own worst enemy. I was self-sabotaging. The only reason why I hadn't figured anything out till 27, it wasn't that I wasn't trying. I was in the way. I would, all these doubts would come in and disbelief and not feeling worthy enough, you know, and even still after like starting to make money, I would make a bunch of money and then I wouldn't make money. You know, I'd go, I'd go these spells, you know, this starting out, I'd roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had to really learn a lot about finance and money. And the, the book that was transformational for me was secrets of the millionaire mind by T Harv Ecker. Uh, he talks about these kind of wealth mindsets. And so that was a big deal for me. Dang. That's, yeah. that's, that's been awesome up to this point. That's, that's an incredible journey. Um, so mindset seems to be like a, a huge thing that helps you take that leap. I honestly feel like my success, and I think this can be generalized, yeah. is it's 90% mindset and maybe 10% strategy or technique. Really? You know, wholesaling the the, the strategy of like, you know, find a deal, assign it, make money. That's like 10% of the equation. The real estate between your ears is like where it's really at. Yeah. Cause I've heard a lot of people say the most important thing is between your ears, right? This, yeah. It's the, this I think so. It. I really think so. So, so now talking to investors, drive nation, right. That a bunch of new investors, mainly how, what would you recommend for people that are getting started? Would it be focus and develop the, an amazing mindset or um, just take action and get into it and learn. I think you just need to be super aware that the business model 
wholesaling, flipping, whatever it is, the business model itself is important. You've got to have the strategy. You got to have the technique. You got to have the skill set. You got to learn that. So dedicate the right amount of time to that and take action as part of that because you're going to learn faster when you when you do than when you learn. Of course. Um, but you also need to realize that none of that means anything if you're not constantly developing your mindset because more than likely the environment you grew up in, there's a lot of negative associations around money and around success. Did you feel like that was something you grew up with? with money? And I didn't even know it. Yeah, it was subconscious. You know, like for example... I grew up in rural Michigan, really poor, and my dad taught me that if you want to get ahead, you work hard. Right. Like, so there was this direct association with hard work and money. Well, your mind says hard and money, and it doesn't know how to distinguish the difference. So all you've done is created an idea that money is hard. Dang. And I had that. So I thought... Most takes, people do, yeah. Yeah, most people do. I thought money, it's going to take a long time. It's going to be really hard. And the reality is there is no correlation between hard and money. Money can come easy yeah. and it can come naturally and it can come fast, right? Yeah. That's a mindset. It's not a, it's not a thing. It's what you believe about yeah. money. Cause I think I heard some people say like the first, making the first hundred thousand a year is like the hardest thing. And then after that becomes, would you, would you say that's true? Oh yeah. I mean, I had a goal. I set a goal early on, Nathan, that I would do, you know how you write down your big goals. I had this goal that I would do. I would make a million dollars on a single deal, okay. a flip. And at the time I was doing $25,000 deals. Crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. Yeah. It was like, someday I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and, uh, but I always kept that as like this goal and it felt like a 10 year slog, mm-hmm. you know, to get there. But then once I did that one, I've now done several more that were like way easy. It's like my mind had to, it was like proof of concept. Yes. And now it's kind of reset a new way of thinking around doing big deals yeah. that I did I, I just didn't have for a long time. I had to I had to work into that and figure that out. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of my experience. So I went to your fast track, right? Most of the experience yeah. of people in your fast track, they probably watch your videos, right? And then they're like, oh, I like this Jerry guy. He's a nice guy, right? <laughs> That's what people, and you're awesome. You're a great guy. Thank you. So <laughs> I watched that and I said to my business partner, Corey, I'm like, yo, we got to learn from this guy. We, this, he knows what he's doing. And it's either you figure it out yourself from trial error or you get a mentor, you get someone that's done it and you just skip some steps. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what I've kind of learned is uh, if you get yourself in the same room with higher level people and just copy them or follow what they do, you're going to get fall in their footsteps. Right. Yeah. So I got in there, we signed up for your fast track. Uh Uh, I can't remember who I was talking with on the phone, right? Because they have someone that you have to apply, right? right. So the I, sales process. Sales process. Yeah. So I talked to him. We negotiated the deal, got there. We did the VIP because I was like, look, I can go to this fast track or I can meet, you know, stay in your, I think at the time people were staying in. Uh, at the house, at the yeah. Because so I said, okay, I can pay a little extra and actually go to dinner, dinner with you, right? <laughs> so we did the dinner thing. And my goal there was to, you know, learn as much as I could from you. And at that time, me and Corey, we were a business, we're business partners still, but one plus one, you talked about it. Yeah. We were one plus one as a partnership equaled maybe one. Yeah. It, we were like doing the same <laughs> things. Yeah. yeah, we were going on appointments together because we had, we were buddies, you know, yeah. we went to college together. So we would go close deals together. You know, we would call sellers together. We, we were doing the same job. 
and you told us in the, in the fast track, you're like, hey, you got to be careful of a partnership equaling one plus one equaling one. It needs to be one plus one equals like ten, or you know, so it needs mm-hmm. you need to complement each other. So after that, we uh, separated roles, did much better. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is we were just wholesaling, and at that time, our biggest wholesale deal was like forty five thousand. Yeah. But since then. You, you said, hey, guys, you need to go into flips. You know, you need to level up. Wholesaling is great. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's good. But level up to flips and then eventually, right, get into luxury, yeah. you know, higher, so, end, higher yeah. end. So, you know, since we've gone to that fast track, we've done multiple $80,000 wholesale I've watched deals you, yeah. And 100K plus flips. Now, haven't hit the million dollar flip yet. But, but you're on, that's your trajectory that's though, Nathan. Trajectory, yeah. So, Nathan, the thing that I love about you that's been really fun for me to watch is, you're constantly surrounding yourself with other successful people. You're constantly learning and developing, and you're not okay with status quo. So you're trying to constantly move your company to that next level. Yeah, and and in this industry, I really firmly believe that wholesaling, um, it can be the end-all be-all, but it's more useful as a stepping stone right. into other things. Yeah, as an option, right? It's and a always a plan B. Yeah. Because anytime you have a deal that doesn't quite fit these other strategies, wholesale that baby, right. make your assignment fee, exactly. feed the feed the engine, right? Keep Pay the, the bills, yep. keep the money coming in, maximize your leads. So I think having wholesaling as, as your kind of core roots mm-hmm. is a phenomenal backbone, right? Or foundation to your real estate business. Right. I look at people who maybe don't know how to wholesale and I'm like, man, you're missing you out. Oh, you're missing yeah. out because Wholesaling is the, the easiest, smoothest way to off deals that don't fit your, your bigger strategies. Right, right. Right? So we start out with that being the main thing, and I did too. I mean, if we go back to kind of like my story, I wholesaled for about two years before I touched my first fix and flip. Was it, by the way, was that nerve-wracking to go from straight wholesaling? In a I didn't want to do it. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to learn rehabbing. I don't want to deal with contractors. I don't want to raise money. I don't want to do all that. That's, I just want to kind of keep doing these wholesale deals. What happened though was, um, when I say I didn't want to, I was reluctant, right. I was scared. It's new. So it's I was scared of the new thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, Holding costs and you know, all at that the, At the time, this is Detroit, the market's kind of starting to fall out there. And what happened was, is I called it the cheap factor. Well, California money and even foreign money was like looking at Detroit going, man, I can buy houses for 10 and $20,000. Yeah. So all this outside buyers were coming in. And so I started wholesaling to these guys. But the problem was, is these were buy and hold people. Mm-hmm. And the, I, couldn't, I couldn't wholesale them the next deal until they got that one like fixed up and rented. Right. So I was like, man, this is slowing me down, yeah. So I'd go to them, I'd go to these buyers and I'd say, I started to, I said, hey, well, you know, I found you the deal. Why don't I get the rehab done? Why don't I- Place the tenant? Place the tenant. Oh, nice. So I built out this kind of turnkey model and uh, did really well with it. I mean, we were doing 70, 80 turnkey rentals where I'd buy it, fix it. I even had property managers, they'd place the tenant. I'd package it and sell it to these foreign investors or out, out of state investors. Wow. And uh, foreign, so, by the way, a lot of foreigners. A lot of foreigners. Buy, like, yeah, we were Israel, a lot of Oh, people yeah, we were selling Israel, Australia, England, like a lot of foreign buyers because the price point was like $50,000, oh, $60,000 for so with a tenant paying 800 a month. So were they able to kind of over, not overpay, but pay more than if yeah. you would have just wholesaled it? Yeah, so at the time, I mean, these are just crazy numbers. I would buy a house for 10, I'd put 10 into it, and I'd sell it for 50. I love it, yeah. And, and that's it, placing the tenant and doing Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Did you own the property management company as well, or did you? Uh, no. Because I know a lot of people do that as well. A lot well, of people but. do that as well. Uh, what happened then was, okay, 08 comes. So, so let me back up a second. A lot of my buyers, they would buy them, refinance, buy another one. They'd go, they'd do cash out refis. Right. And at the time... The bird, right? Sort of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they would they would buy it for me as the wholesaler. Oh, not so, Okay, not a bird. I would manage. do the rehab. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They were just buying turnkey, but... They were buying them for 50, they were appraising for 80. They'd, ref- they'd cash out, pull the cash out, buy another one. So I'd sell one guy 10 houses. And then financing fell out when, when 08 came. So the financial crash, no longer were they doing these refinance loans, especially these. These were like, they called them the ninja loans, which was like no income, no verification, <laughs> no nothing. They don't have those anymore, right? No. If you could fog a mirror, they'd give you a loan. Gosh, and that's why 2008 happened. Yeah, right? that's why it happened. You know, I was part of it. I was selling houses where these guys you were doing. Good money off of it, huh? <laughs> they were doing these ninja loans. And so when that fell out, I said, well, now what do I do? <clears throat> so I just went retail. I started fixing and flipping. I moved out of the low income, moved up into like first time buyers. So these were like $150,000 houses. Did you have your, sorry, did you have your license by the way? Yes. Yeah, so I got my real estate license from day one. Okay. Day one. At the time, if you didn't have MLS, you were really limited. There wasn't software and tools like there is today. There wasn't like Flipster. There wasn't Flipster and these other ones. Yeah. So MLS was useful. Now, I still believe even today, having a license, there's so many benefits. Um, But I started doing retail. Now, at the time, buyers would struggle to get financing still. So I'd go through like three FHA buyers before one could close on a flip. But I just took the flipping model and I went retail. And by the way, the whole time I'm still wholesaling. I'm just trying to be selective. Mm And then Nathan, something transformational that, that changed my life and career happened. I was doing these $150,000 kind of starter homes. Yeah. I'd make about 25, 30 on a flip. I got pretty good at it. It was kind of cookie cutter. Um, a lot of these were like bank properties I'd buy. And I had one of these bank real estate agents call me and they said, hey Jerry, I got this property that I think you'll like, but it's in this higher price area. Ooh. And I'm like, Okay, so I look at it, and it's like a $375,000 house. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, I've never done a deal like this. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's high. Right there. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, man, needs a kitchen, needs paint and carpet. You know, maybe i got to spend a little more on appliances, but it doesn't really feel like it's that much different. Bigger house, though, you know, nice big, like a 3,000-square-foot house, not a 1,000-square-foot house. So, I, so I'm like, okay, let's do it. <clears throat> so I do this deal. Scary, out of my comfort zone. Again. And I flip it and I make 75000 on the flip. And I sat down and I'm like, I made $75,000 on this flip. Normally I make twenty five dollars on these smaller houses. Man, it was the same work, same time. Gosh. I had to get a little bit more money for it, right? But same time, energy, and effort, but I made three times as much. Because the risk, you could say the risk, if you just look at it, was a little bit bigger, right? Well, a little bit more capital, but capital. I mean, buyers in that neighborhood were paying 375 left and right, just like they were paying 150 in these other neighborhoods. Right. So no different there. There's a buyer. But you originally, it was new to you, so you may, maybe you felt originally like it was a little riskier, right? For yes, you. for more, because... Right. I'm borrowing money for these deals, right? So a higher payment on my interest loans and stuff. Um, I had to do the rehab a little bit different, but not really much. I mean, I used the same so contractors. contractors. Yeah, because right. it, it was only a town over, right, from where okay. I've been doing deals. And so I had this major aha moment about the higher end model. Okay. 
And so I went from doing like 70 fix and flips a year. Which is a lot. I mean, that's 10, 15 deals going on at a time. Like it was stressful. Stressed out of my mind all the time. Running around rehabbing everywhere. I'm the bottleneck, right? Because I got to make all these decisions. Didn't really have good systems in place. But trying. I'm trying, right? And so then I do this deal and then I say, you know what? I'm going to focus on... 300 to 600,000, not 100 to 200. And so I just changed a little bit the neighborhoods I was targeting. And the next year, I think I did 10 or 15 deals. And I made more money doing 10 or 15 deals than I did previously doing the 70 deals. You definitely take the 10 or 15 over the 70. Oh my gosh, my lifestyle was so much better. I was happier. I was making more money. And that just changed everything. That was an aha moment. Yeah. It was such an aha moment for me. And from that moment on, I, I just kept pushing the higher price points. What, where are you at now, would you say? What's the highest price um, point you got Well, into? I'm working on a project where we're doing eight to 10 million. Really? <coughs> eight to $10 million. Oh yeah, homes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so before this project, I've been in the three to five million a take, little bit. Take it back to your 27-year-old, brand new could you imagine then doing an eight to ten million dollar project? It would just be the scariest you thing would, imaginable. Yeah, you'd probably be like, I, I'll go back to the ditch. Yeah. You know, because that's scary. I mean, that's scary. That's yeah. that's huge. You know, it's interesting. When I broke the million, like sale price, so ARV a million, I remember feeling like, man, this has taken me so long. I mean, it felt. I think it was you know eight to ten years from that first initial wholesaling to my first like million dollar price point. So I wasn't, it's not like I got there overnight. Now I think people can do it way faster. Yeah, tell tell me about that. Do you think, looking back, you think you could have jumped there? Oh yeah, like two, three years? You can get to a million 10 times faster than I did. Could I do it today if I find the right property? I think you're close, yeah. Yeah, I think you have enough tools. Have to find that. Have to find yeah, that. if your mind's, yeah, I think it's just the capital. You need the you money. Know. And, and sometimes hard money lenders will lend on the repair costs too. So, totally, I mean, that, yeah. I just felt like it was such a big move to get up there. So I did it slow. I did it incrementally. You know, I was like 600. Okay, now let's try 700. Now let's try 800. And then when I did a million, I played around at a million for a little bit. And then I said, okay, I'm ready to go to 3 million. So I moved to Phoenix because Scottsdale, Arizona is the market. Like there's a market for it. When I say a market for it, there's enough buyers paying three to five. It's a bit, yeah, Scottsdale, right? Not all markets have it. So before that, I was doing St. George, Utah at a million. Well, that's that's, that's a cap, yeah. I mean, we did, there's some going higher, but there's not a market for it, whereas Scottsdale there is. So go to Scottsdale. Is that why you originally moved there? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I wanted to break into more higher end luxury. And so my first couple deals at the three million, my my first one I lost money, my next two Ooh. broke even. Did the first one you lost money? Did did that kind of scare you from going further? Or were you like No, at that point I knew it was part of the process. Do you mind me asking how much you lost? Two hundred thousand. And it took two years. Yeah. Wow, but you so learned my, you learned a lot. Oh yeah. That was it. It's just figuring it out. I had to so I did everything wrong. I overpaid on my landscaping. These are new construction, by the way. Okay. So oh, it took from the brand new. You've yeah, a lot, a lot built, built. Okay, yeah, so that not, was not rehabbing. Not rehabbing. Okay. No, I uh, did a couple of rehabs in that window of time, but basically it took me about three years to figure it out. But I was invested. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it like 
what is it going to take for me to break into three to five million dollar homes? What do I got to do? What do I got to learn? And I'm willing to make that sacrifice. I'm willing to pay that price. Most people aren't. I was. And it worked because then that fourth deal was a million dollar profit deal. Because oh I figured things that out. That one we did fast. It was a year deal. Okay. Yep. So new. this is all new construction. I thought you were finding, just in my mind, I thought you were finding maybe a really distressed like $2 million home for like 500000 So I've done two since then that are like that, but yeah. Those are, would you say those are a little bit more difficult to find than uh, doing it? Um, well, today, those are actually easier because, and the reason why is because the, the permitting, the architectural process, that stuff's gotten so hard now. So like it takes a year to 18 months before we can break ground. Wow. Whereas before we could do it pretty fa- a lot faster. That's post-COVID. Yeah. Just post-COVID, yeah. Well, I want to outline some of the Investor Drive Nation people are watching. It sounds like your journey has been like constantly going to the next level and doing something out of your comfort zone, right? So you leave your job, right, after a year and go into wholesaling. And then I think you said two years, you went into flipping, right? And then after that, you started going high luxury. And so everything has been like something, like we've talked about it in your um, fast track, the dip. So would you say you're constantly going through a dip? Yeah, um, in fact, in fact, I intentionally put myself back into the dip, meaning um, I know now that the only way I'm going to progress and grow is if I get myself uh, back into an uncomfortable place, out of my comfort zone. Right. So I've taught myself now, and I think this is an acquired skill, that if things are humming along and I'm feeling good and everything's great, trouble's coming. Oh, gosh. Are you going to make the trouble or is so it I make just the tr- trouble meaning um, I'm going to become complacent Got it. I'm, okay. and I'm going to become irrelevant. Mm. So complacency and irrelevancy are the kiss of death in business. And what I've learned is that markets and technology change so fast now that the minute you're in complacency, you're in trouble because you're going to become obsolete. And I think that's what people want to get to a point where they're complacent, right? At least that's what the dream is like. Oh, it's I the dream. Relax. It's, but you're, you've been... To those it's the worst. Don't ever go there. In fact, I hear people tell me all that. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to. And I'm like, that's the worst thing you could ask for really? is comfort. Yeah, because where, where there's comfort, there's no longer growth. So now that uncomfortable, like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm in a scary place actually feels right. Feels good. Doesn't feel bad. Yeah. If it feels scary in that it's uncomfortable, but it feels good in that I know growth is happening. I know growth is coming. It's crazy. And we were kind of talking about this before this interview. You've been doing the, the kettlebells. Yeah. You're uncomfortable, right? <laughs> yeah, I do, these, I do this Russian kettlebell workout. That's mm-hmm. really difficult, yeah. yeah and, and most people, that you're definitely uncomfortable doing that, oh right? It's very difficult. Most pain. people, so you're feeling the pain, and I told you I'm doing jujitsu and yeah. getting choked out, and it's uncomfortable. But in order to level up, you got to do the uncomfortable things. And it's, I mean, most people probably look at you and be like, you know, I'd love to be where Jerry's and just relax, you know, yeah. just be you know, complacent, right? Mm-hmm. But you're, you're telling Invest Drive, in the nation, Invest Drive Nation, I'm always trying to get in situations where I can, I guess, uh, not be comfortable so I can level up. Yeah, and so you have to ask yourself constantly all the time, am I in a comfort zone? How do I get out of this comfort zone? You know, right now I'm in, I, I live in Puerto Rico and I'm, I'm working on this deal that I'm trying to put together, which is a 20 lot project, ocean front, and these are eight to $10 million homes. I've never done eight to $10 million homes. Hey, you've never done deals in Puerto Rico. I've never done Puerto Rico. This is scary. This is way outside of, 
of my comfort zone, but it's, it's just far enough outside where it's going to cause this big stretch, but I'm far enough along to where I can pull this off. So when I say get out of your comfort zone and take risk, you can't be at a level three and jump to a level yeah. eight. That's like, too much. For me, like I, I'm not going to jump into you're going to screw up three million dollars right. right now. But you can jump into seven hundred fifty thousand or whatever, whatever million, the yeah, maybe even the million dollar, maybe even a million. Even if like it, for example, I feel comfortable now flipping a house if we got if, because we know our numbers. If a house is worth a million and I get it for five hundred thousand, the rehab's two hundred thousand. You know what yeah. would that be like a two hundred thousand assignment uh, flip? Yeah, that should be where you're aiming for. Yeah. So I look at it like a scale of like zero is like no risk at all to 10 is like you've got a really strong risk muscle and a capacity to take on and manage risk. It's all about managing risk, right? So if someone listening right now, you're at a level three, then what does a level four look like? Go there. Yeah. Push yourself to that four. And when you're at a four, then work on five. Yeah, it's like if you're in the NBA, I mean, you got a G League or he, or not even a G League, or like a high school, you're not going to go against, you know, LeBron James. You're not ready yet. You know, you're you're going to get killed. Levels. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But you can go to that next level. Yeah, the G League or whatever college. Mm-hmm. That's that's cool. So that for people that are, are are starting out, they don't have to feel like, oh, I need to freaking level up. I need to get there immediately. It, you have steps. That's good. In fact, it doesn't even matter where you're at. Doesn't I don't care if you're at a five right now or you're at a one right now. That's not the point. The point is where are you at? Be real with yourself. The hardest thing I think, Nathan, is self-confrontation. We have such a hard time being real with ourselves. We wanna we wanna think things are different than what they really are. So being self-aware of where you're really at and being able to be real with that and then say, okay, this is where I'm at. What does it look like to go to the next level? That's leveling up. So it sounds to me like successful people like yourself are, like we've talked about, they're not complacent. They're always trying to level up. And that's why they're getting places other people don't because they're not just just okay with just sitting somewhere. That's why, Nathan, you will, you will surpass me by far I, I because, because I see even more of that in you than, than even I had at your age. Trying to level up? You're, yeah, you're always leveling up. Yeah, you're, you're trying to level that. up. You're trying to level up at a, at, a, at a pace and at a level that is going to get you to do amazing things. I appreciate that. And I think what's That's important, you know, it is, it's exciting to be here with you. I mean, when I joined that fast track two years ago, did you, did I think I'd be interviewing Jerry Norton, the goat yeah. on my, <laughs> on my YouTube channel that I didn't yeah. even have a year ago? Yeah. You know, I just, uh, it's just, it's, it's really cool. And I think what's really important is you got to thank people along the way. You can't just get places and, and I'm sure you've done that too. You know, sure. you probably had so many influences in so your many, life. So many influences. And yeah. You're just, you know, gratitude is huge, right? Being grateful. Um, but I want to talk about something maybe people don't know that I think you'd be okay to talk about is didn't you take like a year off in an RV or something and, and still worked and with your family? Yeah, so that's when I when I went virtual with my business. Um, I was doing everything in Metro Detroit, and my wife and I took a uh, we did an RV trip. So at the time we had six kids, and we piled them all in an RV and we traveled for a year. And I still worked, but I I did I was like maybe twenty hours a week, but. Here's a crazy thing. My real estate business did more that year than any year previously. And that's when I really started to learn the value of a team and systems right. and processes. I know these are things you're working on a lot. So important. So important. I didn't see the value in it so much until I wasn't there. It took, for me anyway, it took me getting out of the way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I'm the one that's screwing everything up because 
everything has to go through me. And when I wasn't there, I was forced to rely more on other people, bring in talent, work on processes. And so now I'm such a firm believer in the, the two key components are the right people and the right processes and systems. That's how you build a business. And it takes time to get there too, right? You know, yeah, you got to get the right, the right butts in the right seats. You got to understand how to use the technology, right? You got to develop those processes. That takes time. Yeah, and that's something I've, I've learned from you and a lot of people is just like uh, to build great things, you have to have a solid team behind you. Oh, yeah. And then to do it yourself, could you imagine doing what you're doing all by yourself right now? So it's, it's interesting the progression I went through. So when I first started to build a team, my mindset was, if somebody else can do it 80% as good as me, that's good enough because at least now I don't have to do it. And so that's what I thought. And so the, I attracted that. It took me a minute, but I, I realized I can actually bring on people into my team that are way better than me at that particular oh, thing. Of course. And so now I'm surrounding oh, myself. Coding and marketing. Oh, and all, all the, yeah. Yeah, even sales. I mean, look at Flipster. Imagine totally. yourself, right? That would totally. be pretty difficult. And, and we're bringing on a, a, some new developers that are going to be able to take it to a new level. So I really believe now that you can surround yourself with people that can do their particular thing way better than you can. And that's been huge in my progress to build out, you know, a successful company. That, and that probably feels good because you're not only elevating yourself and in, in your brand and your business, but you're helping other people develop great incomes, lives as well. Totally. And, and A players are amazing people to be around, amazing people to work with. They, they don't need oversight. They don't need babysitting. You know, they're self-driven. And it's just game changer for your business to have that kind of people. Nothing's better than an employee that does exactly what he's supposed to do better than you can, right? I have a virtual assistant that I tell her to do something once and it's done. I've really, I haven't had that very often. Oh, that's amazing. It's amazing. It's the yeah. best feeling. I'm, you know, I'm explaining to her what the tasks I need to be done. And I, I'm used to having to explain myself multiple times for VAs to get it. But she's like, boss, I get it. Yeah. I got it. You don't have to say it anymore. I got it. I'm like... This is the greatest thing ever. And I'm assuming as you level up, you have more people like that on your team. Yeah, and you'll probably end up putting her in management and training her to bring on other VAs since, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's great. It's it's a beautiful thing when you find the right people. It's it's awesome. But, hey, Investor Drive Nation, thanks for tuning in. We've been, uh, you know, talking with Jerry Norton about his his life and what's got him there. And I think we've learned some awesome nuggets. Um, Do you have anything else? One last thing, a golden nugget. We already dropped a lot, but you have one last thing you'd like to tell investors? Kind of the thing I'm talking about a little bit right now as of this recording is we're seeing some shifts in the market. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to be aware and really quick to adapt. And so I think think the most successful investors are the ones that adapt the quickest. So as we're seeing the market shift, maybe a slowdown, we're seeing higher interest rates, these things that are going on, um, I look at that and I get really excited because whenever there's changes, that means doors are going to close and doors are going to open. Opportunities to make. Oh yeah, so or be an early implementer. So right now, look at these things going on and ask yourself, where are the opportunities and how can I be an early implementer yeah. and be quick to adapt? So, so right now might even be a great time to get into real estate right now. Like a a phenomenal people, time, phenomenal. yeah. I mean, I believe any time is the right, right time, right. but because now... But now's a great time. Yeah, always. Well, Jerry, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, everybody. See you.